Hello, and welcome back to Management 101. I am your host, Max Wenneker. Thank you for joining me today. Today, before we get to the content of the episode, I just wanted to give a quick pitch for my content and my work. Yes, I do, in fact, have a day job. First, this podcast is called Management 101, and I would sincerely appreciate it if you would subscribe to it and rate it so that other people can also learn how to be great managers. You can find it on my website, and that website is management101withmax.com, or you can find it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And second, I want to talk a little bit about my work, my day job, as much as you might think it is creating short clips of my longer podcast episodes for YouTube, is actually something that makes me money. So I work as a part-time chief operating officer or vice president of operations for early stage startups. My work is sometimes called a fractional executive. I help first-time founders solve their scaling challenges using the experience I've gained from working for almost my entire career in fast growth startups. I like to sell it as a startup gets the experience of a senior executive without the cost of hiring one full-time. So if you're interested in chatting about your own company or just want to learn more about what I do, please reach out to me at that same website, management101withmax.com or on LinkedIn. Now let's get to why you're really here. Today's topic is called how to run even more effective meetings. The reason I called it that is we actually had one of my, my first episodes was called how to run effective meetings. And even though I have had 15 episodes aired thus far, and that one was maybe episode three, it is by far the most popular one still that gets the most listens per week, which makes me think that it is a hot topic. And there's certainly a lot to dive into about how to run effective meetings. I don't purport to be a the expert on running meetings, but certainly I'm capable of running a good meeting. And hopefully with some of the input that I've gotten from other experts on the topic, we can synthesize that for you today and talk through some of the key things that make a meeting great and make you a great leader of a meeting. Here are the topics we're going to talk through today. First, preparing for meetings. Self-explanatory. Actually, probably all these are self-explanatory. The second is running the meetings themselves. Third, using technology in meetings. Fourth, providing feedback in meetings. Fifth, follow-up after meetings. And then finally, the qualities and skills required for running meetings. Let's talk first through preparing for meetings. By the way, I'm doing this solo today, so hope you enjoy the sound of my voice. How do you prepare for a meeting to ensure that it runs smoothly? I think this is a combination of a couple things. First, having some sort of documentation ready such that you and the other individuals who are attending the meeting can know the content of the meeting. I think it's fair to assume that whenever you send a meeting invite, everyone else has less context about it than you do, even if it's something that's incredibly relevant to them. Just people don't pay as much attention to other people's meeting invites as they do their own work. So sending around some sort of very brief set of bullets before the meeting can ensure that as many people as possible are aware of what you're actually going to be talking about. I would say that also generally preparing some sort of content to review in the meeting, even if it's just briefly sharing your screen with, hey, this is a reminder of the topics we're going to cover, can be really helpful for orienting people. They may be bouncing between meetings all day and they'll arrive to your meeting and 
They may actually just have completely forgotten what it's about. You can just flash on the screen some bullet points or a couple slides on, here's what I want to talk through and why. That will help orient them. In terms of structuring that meeting agenda, we'll talk through prioritization in a second, but in terms of structuring the meeting agenda, I generally like to think of it as tell them what the meeting is going to be about, then have the meeting, and then summarize what the meeting was about. That way, people are prepared for what they're going to discuss, then they discuss it, and then you remind them of what was discussed. They can walk away with the salient points. One thing I'll also call out in terms of best practices for structuring a meeting agenda, I'm sure all of you have been in one of those meetings that goes in all sorts of crazy directions. There are tangents. You get to a point in the conversation where you think to yourself, I don't even remember what we were supposed to be talking about, let alone do I know what we are talking about. Sending out those bullet points in advance and structuring, these are the topics we're going to talk about, and in this order, ensures that you are only veering off that path that's truly necessary, and not just because someone who doesn't know any better decides to bring it in a different direction without that anchor to here are the specific points we're supposed to chat through. And in particular, here are the goals of this meeting. This is why I want to talk through this and not just send you an email. It's really easy for someone to pull you off of the topic because everyone's got their own stuff in their own heads that they want to talk through and only some of it is actually relevant to what you want to get done. Talking through what you want to prioritize in terms of topics to cover, if you have limited time, which is naturally part of a meeting, I'd, I'm not familiar with any standing meetings that go for indefinite amounts of time. If you want to prioritize what to cover, I think it's just in the order of this is the thing that needs solving the most urgently or is having the biggest impact that we need to take, that we need to figure out. If you can go in that order, then there's some point at which you're just going to run out of time and that's where you cut it off. I certainly don't think cramming is ever a good idea because the more that you force into one meeting, the less that you'll actually get done. Any given meeting probably shouldn't have more than two or three topics to be covering or things to be figured out. And I think the way to think about prioritizing it is not just in terms of here's the amount of impact this thing will have if we solve it or if we don't solve it, but also which of these items actually needs to be covered live? If you are just hosting a meeting to talk through something, to give an update on something, and you're not hosting a meeting to actually discuss something with other people, it's important to consider whether that might have been better just as an email. What are you getting out of communicating this information live versus just sending it to people? If you're having a meeting to actually discuss something, well, then what are the things that actually need to be discussed? What are the things that couldn't be solved via Slack or Microsoft Teams or email? What are the things that actually require discussion live? Some of the way to think about that is what of these topics has the most nuance to it? Or what of these topics has the least common knowledge about it where it might make sense to be sharing information with each other to get to the right answer? Another way to think about it is, which of these topics has the least clear answer? What problem is going to be the hardest to solve in terms of there isn't a definite right way to go about it? When there's a very clear and simple approach to something, that interaction may not need to take place live. But when there are a lot of trade-offs to be made, 
it might make sense to have that be something that you cover live and as a discussion format, because if you did that via email or via Slack, you might have a hard time getting all that nuance out of people. And you might have a hard time keeping people paying attention with super long run on Slack messages or email threads. Now let's talk through running effective meetings. What are some of the common mistakes that people make when they're running a meeting? And how do you avoid those? The first mistake is cramming too much. And we just talked about this. If you try to put every single item that you want to talk through in a meeting, I can guarantee you it's going to be too much. People have very limited attention spans. I once heard a statistic that said in an average hour meeting, people are fully paying attention for approximately 15 to 20 minutes of it. I personally really dislike meetings that are longer than half an hour because I just personally have a hard time paying attention for long periods of time. And I know that other people do because I definitely don't have a short attention span by any means. So first mistake is just trying to pack too much into a meeting. Just because you have a lot that you want to get figured out does not mean that the meeting can contain more information. The constant here is how much content a meeting can have, not what you want to put into the meeting. Another mistake that people make is reading off of their content. I think it's one thing to put some slides up on the screen and say, here's what I want to talk about and use those as an anchor. I'm going to briefly read through this first bullet point, and then I'm going to talk through something related to this bullet point that's not on the slide or on the prepared content. If you find yourself simply reading what is on your slides or what is on your prepared content, there is absolutely no reason to be doing that. Unless you are working in a company where other people are not capable of reading, there is no reason for you to be reading off of your slides or your content. People can do that for themselves. The content is meant to be an anchor so that people are aware of what is being talked about and maybe some key points that need to be made, but then you are going to be talking through things that are not there. Again, if you are just reading through slides, that meeting was totally pointless because everyone could have read that as an email. The last mistake that I see individuals often make in meetings is assuming that others have context on what you're talking about. I'm often in meetings that contain a number of different parts of the organization, let's say marketing, sales, finance, operations, just to name a few. It's very likely that a sales team has almost no context on what an operations team does. If someone from the operations team were to join that meeting and say, let's talk through the way that this specific internal operations process works and all the tools that we use to make that process work, I would guess that these other teams' eyes would probably glaze over. They'd have no idea why they're part of that meeting, and it's also incredibly irrelevant to them. Setting up the context of, here is why I asked you to be here. Here is what the problem is that we're trying to solve, or here is the thing that I want to talk about. And the way that you, who I've asked to be part of this meeting, play a part in that. Either you need to be aware of this because it impacts your team, or... I need your input because you are a team that does this thing well right now, and we are trying to replicate that in my team or something else that I'm not thinking of because there are more than two reasons to have a meeting or to invite someone to a meeting. It's important to establish that before you start talking through the actual details because otherwise individuals are going to have no clue why they're part of the meeting. 
just because you know does not mean you can assume that they do. How do you keep attendees engaged and motivated while running a meeting? Well, maybe I'm not the expert here. You may have already nodded off from the sound of my voice. I think there are a couple things. One is keep it light. It's okay to make jokes. Certainly not if you're not funny, but it is okay to keep it light. Keeping folks engaged in meetings is partly an exercise in involving them and partly an exercise in managing attention spans. In terms of involving them, there's got to be some reason why you bring most people to a meeting, right? If you're just talking for 30 straight minutes or an hour straight, did you really need to have that meeting? If you didn't offer up opportunity for questions, if you didn't bring in other people to get their opinions or to give their input, why did you even have that meeting? If you're going to have a meeting, it should involve other people and not just you talking. Otherwise, that's just a lecture and they could have gone to school for that. Figure out what is it that you could get input on and how do you engage others to get their input? I wouldn't cold call. Most people don't love cold calling, but I think it's okay, particularly if you know someone's not fully paying attention. Rather than cold calling them, the way to lovingly get them involved in the conversation is to first say their name and then perhaps repeat the question that you already asked or start with their name. Say, John, I'm curious to get your input on this. How does the sales team normally approach solving X problem? And then it doesn't really matter if John was paying attention for the last five minutes or not. You can get his input. The more that you engage your audience or your attendees by asking them questions, asking them to give input, the more likely they are to stay engaged. The other way to do it is simply by not droning on. If you are someone who doesn't do a great job with staying succinct with your storytelling or with your communication, maybe just leave it at the main bullet points and not go too deep into it or bring in your supporting points from the main bullet points and just leave it to two to three of your supporting points rather than running down a list. I once had a direct report who literally just talked through all of her bullet points for every single topic she wanted to talk through. And it was incredibly overwhelming. She would say, we need to update this process that everyone on the team is currently executing to include this new step. Here's why. And then five or six reasons why. And here's all the instructions as to how to do it. It was very hard to pay attention to. If she had split it into, we need to update this process because main reason here is where you can access the new process. And here are two or three things that are different than the current process. I think she would have maintained the room's attention a little bit better. One of the challenges I see new managers often have when running meetings is when dealing with particularly difficult personalities or conflicts that come up during meetings. Someone disagrees with your point or is simply not paying attention in a very disengaged way, like looking at their phone very obviously or having a side conversation. It's not easy to deal with that in a considerate but decisive way. I can think of an example of I had a direct report once who tended to be very argumentative in meetings with the rest of the team. These were meetings that I was leading or sometimes other members of the team were leading that I was simply participating in. This individual would often interrupt, state their own opinion, 
explain why this person was wrong. And I really don't think this person thought anything of it. I think this person simply thought this is the way that I like to argue and therefore this is how it's supposed to be done. It was incredibly off-putting to the rest of the team and I got a lot of complaints about it. I will admit that I didn't handle it super well at first because I did literally nothing. I just observed it happening. After I got some repeated feedback from the team, I realized that this is something I really had to take action on. I first brought it up to the individual in question. I said in a already scheduled 101, I have received feedback from multiple team members that the way that you interact in meetings can sometimes cause others to not be willing to speak up and can sometimes cause others to feel offended. I have noticed personally that when you bring up points to discuss, they are often interrupting what someone else is saying. This person acknowledged that feedback and said, I get it. This is the way that I have always operated in other companies. I will try to be more cognizant of it. Next meeting, literally nothing changed. It happened the exact same way again, where this person interrupted others and everyone walked away with the same frustration. So I brought it up again and I said, I noticed these same things happening again. Is there any way that I could help make sure that this doesn't happen in the future live? This individual said, if it's happening again, you can call it out. And if this person hadn't said that, I would have asked if I could pause their interruption live. Next time it started happening, I raised my hand. I said, I'm sure it's a really good point. I really want to make sure that we cover it. However, I also want to make sure that so-and-so individual is still getting the opportunity to finish what they were trying to present. And this person acknowledged it and apologized. And it really didn't happen again after that. So I think it's reasonable to say live, hey, I do want to make sure we get to this point, but I also want to make sure that we're covering what this other person is doing. Or, hey, it sounds like you have a lot of concerns on the approach we're trying to take. Would you mind if we held those for now and you and I can schedule one-on-one -on -one to talk through them more in depth. All these approaches don't make the person look bad, but they communicate to the person that this maybe isn't the appropriate forum or moment to be discussing them. Another question I've gotten before from individuals I've worked with has been, I noticed that only certain team members of mine actually participate on a regular basis. And there are a number of folks who don't speak at all how do I get them more involved? Because my experience is that they actually have a lot of really relevant information and good ideas, but they just don't seem comfortable sharing them in a public forum. Let's break this down. I think some of this is simply personality type. There are some individuals who simply will never enjoy participating in meetings. And no matter how much encouragement you provide or comfortable setting you provide, they're simply never going to enjoy it. That's okay. I think it's for you to decide whether that's an acceptable personality trait or characteristic to have within your team. Personally, I think it's totally fine for my teams. I can always grab information offline from this person in a one-on-one -on -one setting. It might take me a little bit more time, but they produce, hopefully they're producing it a bunch of other ways such that it's worth it to me to try to 
manage the situation to the individual than manage the individual to the situation. There are other folks who are simply not speaking up because they don't feel comfortable doing so given this specific context, either because of, for the example I gave earlier, there's an individual who tends to put down ideas that are brought up, or there are also times when an individual isn't comfortable speaking up because they think that their ideas are going to be judged in some way, or they think that they don't know as much as other people. That's where I think you can have a conversation with someone offline, meaning in your one-on-one or simply not in that meeting and say, hey, I'd really love to get more of your input because when you and I talk one-on-one, I get a lot of valuable insight and I want to make sure that the rest of the team is getting that. Would you mind if I asked you for input in the next meeting? I can promise you I will be supportive of it out loud such that you don't feel like you're drifting in the wind. But would you be okay if I asked you to participate? If you have someone on your team who is generally not participating, I don't recommend just calling on them. Probably not very considerate of what they want. There's a reason that they're not participating. So first try to dig into it with them and then try to come up with a solution to ensure that they're able to participate. One other thing I'll note on that topic is just because someone participates regularly does not mean that their insight is any more valuable than others on the team. If you are finding that there are only two or three individuals who are taking up the vast majority of the talking time, that may not necessarily be correlated with the outcomes you want. The loudest people don't have the best ideas. So it is definitely in your best interest to figure out ways to encourage participation and a diversity of perspectives in your meetings. Next topic, using technology in meetings. This is a tricky one. I think that there are some very clear trade-offs between use and non-use of technology, and there's probably a balancing act of sorts that needs to be found. First of all, I am not a big fan of the permanent share screen during meetings. On Zoom, for example, if someone is sharing their screen with a document or slides, everyone's pictures get a lot smaller, and most of the screen real estate is taken up by that written content. That makes an interaction a lot harder. It's going to sound a little awkward, but my favorite approach is to switch between screen sharing for offering additional information and then turning it off for the discussion time. It's a little bit of back and forth, and you certainly have to acknowledge it in advance such that people are prepared for it. Hey, I'm going to share this thing so that we can all get familiar with it, and then I'm going to turn off screen sharing so we can actually discuss it. If you can set those expectations in advance, then it's not going to be quite as jarring. And what you'll find is that when you can actually see everyone's faces, whether it be live in person where everyone is looking at the same screen, or whether it be a Zoom meeting where everyone is looking at their own screen, I think you're going to find that if you're not totally anchored to the screen sharing content that whole time, to that PowerPoint or Google Slides the whole time, or Notion document, you're going to have a lot easier time actually having a discussion. The more time that content is displayed on the screen, the lower the quality of interaction it is that you'll have. Facing each other rather than facing the screen is a really important thing to do. Next topic, how to end meetings. You have the best meeting possible, but if you don't close it out the right way, it was a terrible meeting. 
The key to ending a meeting, I think, is twofold. The first is summarizing, and then the second is next steps. The summarizing goes back to the point I made earlier. When you have a meeting, there are three parts. There's the, here's what we're going to talk about. Then there's the, we're talking about it. And then there's the, here's what we talked about. That's summary of here's what we talked about, both the topics that we were going to cover and some of the key points that were made in this meeting, the outcomes. Make sure you do that because not everyone is paying attention the whole time. Guaranteed. But the second part is equally as important, which is what happens next. If we all agreed on this thing needs to happen, but no one is tracking who is supposed to do what, very little progress is going to get made. I would recommend doing is at the end of a meeting, once you've given the summary, make sure that during that meeting, you've taken notes on who is supposed to be doing what. These are often called action items. Make a list of those action items and at the end of the meeting, list out those action items. This person is supposed to be doing this by this date. This other person is supposed to be doing this thing by this date. There'll be a number of action items that come out of the meeting. Run over them live. It's like when you talk to a customer service person, they say, make sure to ask them their name. It's not because you're going to go back into the organization and say, oh, I talked to this gym in Kansas City, right? But that's not the point. With the point of saying their name on a customer service phone call is to anchor them to your ask. When you ask their name, they automatically get pulled in more to the task. And so when you put someone's name on an action item at the end of a meeting and you say, this is your action item, they're much more likely to follow through on it. Okay, so you've listed the action items now, and then you end the meeting, obviously with a fantastic joke or rousing speech of some sort to get everyone excited and ready to go to work. I'm kidding, by the way. I mean, feel free to do that, but that's definitely not a requirement for every meeting. What happens after that? Well, the follow-up. You listed those action items live. Where can you track them? This is where a project tracker or some sort of meeting notes makes sense to have. Make sure to email those out afterward. If you said, here are the five things that need to happen, here are the five people that are doing them, send those out to those people and everyone else who's in that meeting so everyone can be aware of this is what needs to be done and by when. This is the only way to make sure that what you agreed on the meeting actually gets followed through on afterward. I personally really like Google Docs. Sometimes Notion works because, one, you can easily take notes in a meeting. You can also tag people such that they are aware, both from the email as well as from the tool itself. So Google Docs or Notion, they can be tagged directly into the document so they know where to put their own follow-ups as they go through them. Some other somewhat random thoughts on best practices for meetings. One, meetings cost money. Now, I don't think a meeting actually costs money in terms of you have to pay for something unless you're literally renting a room to have the meeting or bringing in a speaker that you pay for. But meetings cost money in the sense that they cost everyone who joins a certain amount of time. If someone gets paid in salary equivalent $100 an hour, there are 10 of them that you have to join a meeting, that meeting costs $1,000 of their time. That's really important to think about. Is a meeting worth having? Think about that as the bar. 
is this worth the cost of the people's time who are going to get involved? Or could this meeting have been set up as an email of some sort, a message to the team? Could this meeting be set up in a shorter format? There are a lot of options for alternatives to meetings, and I think those who default to meetings probably are not being creative enough and are really drags on the company's resources, not in a way that's obvious, but in a way that is very impactful. Before you even decide to set up a meeting, first decide, are each of these people's relative cost worth it to have them as part of the meeting? If you're just willy-nilly adding individuals, quote-unquote, for visibility, which I often see happen in large organizations, often not the best of use of that person's time. They can be filled in via some sort of document after the fact if they're not actively participating. And then I think the same goes for more broadly, does this need to be a meeting at all? Another somewhat random best practice, my experience is that meetings tend to take the exact amount of time they are allotted. I am part of a weekly meeting with one of my clients that is 90 minutes. It almost always takes all 90 minutes. I am part of a basically equivalent meeting with another client that is scheduled for 60 minutes, and it takes 60 minutes. I think we as humans naturally tend, not consciously of course, but naturally tend to give meetings and interactions the amount of content that fills the space. So meetings are like air in that sense. You can decide whether it needs to be an hour or reduce it to 45 minutes or 30. The meeting will tend to take up that amount of time, regardless of the actual allotment you've given it. The last thing I'll call out is something I have tended to see from senior leaders at early stage companies or companies that are growing really quickly is they tend to over-index on meetings with individuals and under-index on meetings with teams. So a good example, I'm working with a client right now. This is a CEO of a 50-person company. This CEO still has one-on-ones every single week with something like 20 members of that organization that report to the CEO. But has no full company meetings. So it doesn't have an all hands of any sort on any cadence. Ask the CEO why that was the case. The CEO hadn't even thought about it. They had said, I have these one-on-ones where I talk through what each individual person or each individual function needs to be getting done. But don't they all know what we're trying to do as a company? And I think the answer to that is almost definitely no. You as a leader have a lot more context on the vision for the company, on the short-term and long-term goals than anyone below you. And so if you are having a lot of one-on-ones, but very few function or team or organization meetings, it's worth considering whether it might make sense to switch that. You can get a lot of value out of 15 to 30 minutes with the whole company just doing some direction setting, because that sets the tone for what everyone's doing. Whereas if you're just having one-on-ones, you have to have a lot of trickle-down information for that to occur. Those are all my thoughts on meetings part two. I hope this was as helpful, if not more so, than how to run effective meetings, if only because I called this how to run even more effective meetings. So I just hope it stays true to its purpose. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to hearing your feedback and would love your ideas for more episode content. Have a great rest of your week.